This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the manly warthog man cave. By golly, in the piney woods of north central Florida. In God's country, and it is, of course, the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, and we're protected 24-7 by crime prevention with John uh, and, and, and Randy there, John Pastore and Randy Elrad, and Poser MD, and on and on, and R&R Construction, and all the wonderful people uh, that support us, support them, on-the-spot cleaners, um, that's the way to do it. And, uh, we appreciate them for helping us help you. I'm trying to tune in my, uh, world here so I can see in the chat line. There it is. What's going on. And, uh, let me see who my early students are. Plantation Mark, Ray Stern, Matt Cannon. Oh, uh, there we are. Good deal. Well, I'm going to have a little follow up report today on the young man who was a recipient of the cheap shot, he has a lacerated liver. And i am done a little research on it. I know it's not good. I wouldn't want a lacerated liver myself. There are some good things, though, about a liver. It is because, it's called a liver because it does kind of heal itself. I don't know the extent to which it's lacerated, and that is going to, of course, be tied to how long he's out of the sport. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's really sad that this kid was recipient of a play like that. Now, on the other side of that coin, and you have to realize this, this was going to happen. The player who hit the Colorado player with a cheap shot is under police protection because of the enormous number of death threats that have come his way. And I looked at some of the details of that. The young man who delivered the cheap shot was actually born in the town in which Colorado, the university is. So the people know his People and his people are catching it as well. You know, it's pretty serious when I don't remember too many on the field brawls. Uh, We had a mild one here with Tennessee and Florida that result in a cascade. And this, this is not one, as I understand it, death threat. This is Many, many 
and they have to be taken seriously, and the people doing them are serious. You know, I I fault the coach of the player who delivered the cheap shot. I looked at his comments about this today, and he says, well, we don't teach that, but that's the sport. No, no, brother. No, 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 no. No, no. Uh-uh. It don't work that way. So there you are. That's the follow-up. And in talking about this with you yesterday, I realized the subject really was much, much bigger than just, and I don't want to say just, uh, much bigger than that particular aspect of our culture and our lives. And one of the things that I discovered in talking about this was that as a professor, my mind was looking back over the subject of trying to sort the world out, understand it. And I remembered my own situation where I didn't want to major in college. I didn't want to be contained by some sort of thinking that would be proscriptive. Here's this coach for the young man who delivered the cheap shot saying, well, it's the way we play it. Well, in a larger context, obviously it isn't. So it got me to thinking about the title of the day show, The Education Silo. <clears throat> so many people see the world from their silo. Evaluate the world from their silo. Now, a silo is a large tube that I'm familiar with from the country on the farms where we'd keep grain. And we'd only put a particular grain in that silo. We'd put corn in there. I've scooped corn many a time out of a silo. There's nothing else in there mixed with it. That's what's in there. Silo thinking, I think, is where we are now in our culture. Let me test this with you, students. Democrat. Silo thinking. Republican. Silo thinking. Where are the people who put it together, who don't operate out of silos? Let's take, for example, one of the fashionable, if you will, Conversations going on right now, upon which enormous amounts of money and political gibberish are being, good morning, Robert Taylor, are being spent on so-called climate change. You must subscribe to that philosophy 
if you're an automaker, because you're going to get money from the government if you build an electric car. And already the union people have caught on to this. The building of the electric car is really China. We're getting the short end of the deal. The government is in cahoots with the corporate automakers, not the worker automakers. Why did it have to be either one way or the other? Why are we fixed on climate change to begin with? One of the things that I remember, and I've gone back and researched, when I took that course that was not in my program, it was a biology course. And the biology course was a course in reading about the world in a very large way, fundamental way, from which biology came. And the focus was on a work called The Challenge of Man's Future. Published in 1954. I took this course in 1961, and it was not called climate change or save the earth. It was a attempt to stitch together and get out of the silos all the ways in which we are faced with our global challenges, the great problems of the human condition. So it taught looking at this from the intersection of the disciplines, the intersections of the natural sciences and social and political sciences and public policy, the intersections Where does all this intersect? Not how is it all separated? Because I learned, and I went back and reviewed what I learned. Now, this is 2023. I first heard these lectures in 1961. Never heard the term. Save the planet or none of that. But... Already, the great thinkers were thinking about food, energy, vital needs, and population. That is what we have to work with. Food. Do you realize that food is one of the most precarious pieces of land we're standing on. We, 90, less than 2% of this country feeds the other 98%. 
Okay. In that 2%, the percentage of family farms is all shrinking every year. What's replacing that is the corporate farm, big corporations, big machinery, shipping to distribution places, to be shipped to grocery stores, to be consumed by people who work in offices, air-conditioned offices, generated by some sort of power source, inside of some kind of concrete monolithic city. And we know here in Florida from a hurricane, you can clean those shelves off in three hours. What is going to be the availability of food and what is going to be the nature of the food? It takes energy to produce the food. Here is a paradox that is so out of fashion right now. It's not even in a silo. Nobody wants to talk about it. What is the consistent, fundamental source of energy? It's not fossil fuel. It's not nuclear power. It's not solar energy. Human labor. Human labor. And with the population increasing, and of that population, fewer providing food for themselves, what is the point at which that system collapses? was one of the very serious questions we thought about in 1961. What must the birth rate be to prolong life with some sort of health? What will be the raw materials for the industry? And will an industrial culture even survive, notwithstanding the source of energy. Will industrial culture, this was one of the questions, huge question. Will it survive by returning to an agrarian civilization? like China and India. In other words, human energy, not mechanical energy, because the machine will displace the humans increasingly. The humans will grow in number. New York Times article here has the number that we'll have. I'll get into that in a minute. All of this is coming 
in the, the classroom discussion today, because of silos, where are the big thinkers? They're not in the White House. I'm not even sure they're in the academic institutions because the academic institutions have been corrupted by the politics. You're not going to get it in the media because the media is responding to hysterical stuff. 10,000 people the other day marching in New York. I mean, people are worried about something. What are they worried about? Climate change? If they were really worried about climate change, we know this. You would go to the southern hemispheres of the world where the pioneering is being done, basically in the equatorial rainforest in the Amazon basin, and stop deforestation. Stop deforestation. What do they want to deforest the Amazon for? To get the raw material minerals to run the industrial machinery, to increase the population standard of living by giving them more material goods. But you can't eat the material goods. No one ever even talks about in our northern hemisphere going to the southern hemisphere and saying, whoa, guys, stop clearing your forests. These questions and many more like them were presented in a class I was not allowed to take unless I just took it because it wasn't in my program. And yet the man in the street more than ever needs to be well-informed and get his information from sources that are not corrupted by social and political agendas. So I ask you, are we getting it? I haven't counted up the number of years since I sat and listened to those discussions. 23, about 63, about 60 years. Yeah, I listened to them when I was 19, about 19 years old. Yeah. 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 Money is not going to, it's not edible. You can't, if you have a lot of money, but you have no food, even if you have a lot of energy, but you have no food, talking about fossil fuel energy, nuclear energy, whatever. And yet, we are the richest farmland in the world. Between two big bodies of water, with a body of water at the bottom, prevailing winds across the place, and big plains in the middle, we don't know what to do with it. We actually pay farmers not to grow. Why? Because 
the corporate machinery can produce so well enough to feed all the people in the city, provided that uh, we have what? We have a system that uh, can distribute it and we can keep the other people occupied and the population pressure is not too great, right? When that population pressure becomes great, it's called global human population. It's been climbing for the past two centuries. Children born today will very likely live to see the end of global population growth. A baby, this according to studies in the uh, in the New York Times, a baby born this year will be 60 in the 2080s. And demographers uh, expect the size of humanity to peak then. Why will it peak? Well, people will die off. There's a not enough distribution that can sustain them. Uh, over the past hundred years, the global population has quadrupled. The emphasis on this class in 1961 that I sat in was on population. Over the past 200 years, humanity's population growth has gone hand in hand with profound advances in living standards and health. You got electric light bulbs, you got video calls, you've got possibilities of eradicating diseases. We've already done some uh, innovations and discoveries are being made. But the de-emphasis of the human potential can be a negative result of the innovations technologically. What do you do with all the people? They've got to maybe return to a world that we don't even imagine right now, and that is an agrarian world. You do see little pieces of it in Alachua County. Somebody will have a little farm where they grow tomatoes by the side of the road, something, something. But that's difficult if you got to what? Pay for fuel. The only way you can really increasingly every day, the only way you can get that done is through human energy. Human and animal energy. So how do you remake a society? We might not even be capable of thinking about it because we're so isolated in our silos. That's the way the game's played. Really? Well, that's a limited way to play the game. The assumption that will automatically rebound. Is that a flawed assumption? 
what the prediction is, and I'll give it to you. Hopefully, you won't be around for it. And we've kind of got a hint of it on COVID. Is it won't be the bomb and all that. It will be a plague. As the population increases and the habitat in which we are not accustomed to living is encroached upon, we will be exposed to viruses for which we have no resistance. We already have a model for this. When the Europeans arrive in the quote-unquote new world, in the New England area, 25 years later, all the Native Americans were dead. From diseases they had no resistance to because they had never commingled with Europeans because of the distance between them from the, caused by the ocean. In fact, the African American would not have ever been a slave if the Native American had had immunity to European diseases because that was the slave of choice. The slave industry was started by the Puritans who inhabited New England. John Squanto, they took back to England to prove that they could do it, but died. So the next choice, of course, was the African who had traded with the European across the Straits of Gibraltar and the Mediterranean for centuries and had resistance to European diseases and was hardy and could take living among the Europeans. So we know what will happen if the reverse happens for us. We go into an environment Ebola is an example, or the virus for which we have no immunity. So the conjecture is that if you think outside the silos, that we need to limit the population. We need low birth rates. That becomes a very serious discussion. The thinking is that if you don't, as a culture, find a way to, and you know, China we know has tried this, to limit the birth rate, nature will limit it for you. No one yet knows what to do about global population. No one really knows how to encourage family size, particularly when the world is out of sync. We need fewer family sizes here, but over here, where it's a more agrarian culture, you need greater numbers 
because the humans are supplying the energy. Six decades from now, the availability of energy, food, and habitat, if these models are significantly close to accurate, will peak. And the abundant good life will dissipate. What we really need, and this is the point, we'll take a break. And I'll quote the article here at the Times because I agree with them. We need a compassionate, factual, and fair conversation. Not a politicized, not a hysterical. And it's going to have to incorporate all the components. Fossil fuel is going to have to be included. Solar is going to have to be included. Nuclear is going to be included. And hopefully some new scientific discovery. To really address what seemed to be on people's minds. I got there all that in 1961. I was thinking about all this in 1961. And I got myself into a class that discussed it against the advice of my counselor who said it was not in my program. There you go, my friends. We'll take a break for the weather. Be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. Tension all Gator fans, Meldon Law is giving away a chance to experience the Florida Georgia game like never before. Tonight's stay at the Hilton on the River, dinner at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, two premium tickets to the game, and a football signed by Coach Billy Napier, and much more. Go to the Melden Law Facebook page and look for the VIP experience for two. Good luck and go Gators! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, 
Thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather. Brought to you by Lewis Oil, Chevron, Fossil Fuel Gas. Great people. Chevron, Philip and Chevron. Wendell Lewis. She says she's only 29. I go along with that. You see her, she looks 29. I love her. She's a good supporter of our show. Listen, support the people who support our show. Uh, We're out here trying to help, well, educate and entertain to some extent. But there's a lot of teaching going on here, and hopefully you get a little something out of it. Uh, we have got an amazing phenomenon here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida this morning. We had a temperature plantation mark of 60 degrees, by golly. 60 degrees. Now, we'll go up into almost 90 today. But fall is creeping up on us. Uh, grass stops growing when it gets about that chilly because grass grows at night and the night temperature, if it dips down to the sixties and you take a look at your grass right now, if you were mowing it weekly two weeks ago, you're not mowing it weekly. Now, maybe every two weeks you mow everywhere. So, uh, that's the way nature works. This previous hour, I was talking about nature, and we we're talking about all the ways in which uh, mankind is attempting to address really his selfish concerns from my point of view. Nature could care less. Uh, Stephen Crane has a poem. Uh, he heard, I think I can quote it almost. After he heard the learned astronomer, he wandered outside and looked at the stars. And said to the universe, I had, I exist 